Welcome to the Healing Ninjas Podcast, a space dedicated to highlighting the healing stories of everyday people. This podcast is not a replacement for professional support. This podcast may contain content that may be graphic, violent, or traumatic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The goal of sharing these stories is to help you, the listener, hear how people have struggled in various ways and the steps they have taken to become healing ninjas, individuals who are seeking to master the art of healing. Healing is not a linear process. We all have our ups and downs. This podcast aims to create a brave space for people to share and learn from one another. I'm your host, Hernan Carvente Martinez. Welcome to the Healing Ninjas community. Hey, everyone. It's Hernan again, back with another episode of Healing Ninjas. Today, I am super excited because, as I've told you on previous episodes, I've just been having dope-ass opportunities to connect with really dope people, whether it's through the speaking engagements that have like been brought to me by Healing Ninjas or everything else amazing that I'm doing out there related to this idea, to this whole initiative. But this one connection came about from Latinx Parenting's Fatherhood Series. So shout out to Leslie for organizing Hey, Leslie. That. <laughs> yes. Literally, I would not have met this awesome man, DJ Johnson, if it had not been for that opportunity. Literally, he being so engaged in the chats and just like totally being down to connect virtually. And then I hit him up and said, yo, DJ, would you be down to having a conversation? Would you be down to doing a recording? And DJ quickly responded, let's do it, bro. Let's set it up. And I really appreciate his patience, though, because we've been a little back and forth with the dates. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so, so I just want to tell you, thank you, bro, for for just taking time and and honestly, just thank you for being on my podcast. And you know, I hope to really share people with people your story, your journey, and just your healing, how it has come about. So if you could, DJ, can you introduce us to you, where you're from, and just tell us more about you and what it means to be DJ Johnson? Yes. So my government name is DeAntoine Johnson. Um, I don't like going by that because so many people has butchered it and mm. it just I just have g- created a, an identity around DJ so DJ Johnson if you ask me but um I was born in Indiana Fort Wayne Indiana to be exact um and just kind of had a upbringing that was challenging um up until about fourth grade um, dealt with abuse and trauma and different things and then went into the foster care after that. Um, I currently live in SoCal, Southern California. We'll get into how I made that shift, I'm sure, later. But um, yeah, just just a person who right now today, um, despite all the things that I've been through, um, I currently work full-time as a researcher for uh, the show called Speak for Yourself for Fox. So they they pay my checks or they run me my checks, full time checks, I should say. And then I also have a business, uh, DJ Inspires, um, which allows me I'm a counselor as well. So it allows me to go into schools and contract with schools and provide counseling, individual and group to students, as well as um, parenting workshops, parenting um, seminar um, groups. I don't like to call them classes, parenting groups uh, where I try to help um parents of teens better connect with their teenagers. Um, so that is me in a nutshell. I'm married. Uh, I've been with my wife. Well, <laughs> I was up in her DMs on MySpace, if y'all remember MySpace. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so like shortly after we ended up dating in 20, 2009 um, and then ended up getting married in 2014. So mm. what is that? Seven years now? Oh, man. Going on seven years and... 11 years together in April. Yes, 11 years strong. Yeah, I think I'm doing the math right. So (laughs) yes, um, yeah, being able to, yeah, be have a wife who's just supportive and awesome. And then of course we birthed a baby boy. Mm. Uh, He is three and a lot of energy. So I'm gonna leave it at that. (laughs) Mm. So that's DJ. Thank you, DJ, for for giving everybody a glimpse. And I say a glimpse, Mm -hmm. y'all, because I've been having some convos with DJ. And (laughs) man, if you at the end of this, I'm totally going to drop his website, y'all, so y'all can check out a lot of the stuff that he has spoken about, about his life, his past. I don't want you to 
rehash everything, DJ. Like I told you this straight up, right? Like I'm not trying to come here and have you like reshare everything that might be hard to sometimes share. Cause like people don't understand that, right? For us storytellers, we share it for the yeah. sake of it sometimes. And we want to do good and inspire good, but at the same time it's taxing on us. So truly want to respect that and definitely want you to share as much as you can though about some of the things that led you to the kind of work that you're doing now, right? Helping young people, being a coach to them as well, their parents, and essentially doing some of the work you're doing now in general, where you're also sharing, you have your own podcast too, DJ Inspires. So definitely going to link that as well. But like, tell us some of the things that brought this inspiration for you to become DJ Inspires as well. Yeah, I um, don't like to plug the podcast too much because your boy has been <laughs> slacking. I haven't released no episodes. Um, but that goes to the healing and the self-care part, right? Because I recognize like, okay, this is one thing that I can take off my plate and not feel mm. guilty about it. And I think because of my childhood, like I do often create my own guilt, right? Like I say, oh, you should be doing this or you should be doing that. Or I put this, all these different pressures on myself to just kind of, you know, perform and do the things that I need to do in life. Um, and, and in one way, it's, it's great because I've been able to be highly successful, but it's also like detrimental at times because I get to a situation where it's hard for me to say no. And why is that? Why is, why is it hard for me to say no? Why do I have this kind of want to make sure that I do all that I can to be successful? Well, I didn't mention the tra trauma that I dealt with when I was a child. And um, I'm talking, you know, one time, oh, well, my stepdad was very abusive. So my mom and dad had me when they were 16. And my uh, stepdad ended up marrying my mom. So my dad walked out of my life for whatever reason. And my mom ended up meeting my stepdad. I think they got married around when I was two. Um, and it wasn't until about, you know, well, there's a period of my life that is so vivid in my memory mm -hmm. in terms of the trauma that I experienced. And so around second grade, third grade is where I would really remember some very traumatic things, right? In second grade, I remember um, getting in trouble on the last day of school or even before that, <laughs> I remember uh, being hungry. So my stepdad instilled so much fear in us. Mm. Like I remember being so scared of him at times that I was afraid to ask for food or water. We just essentially got those things when it was time to eat. So my mom was like, hey, time to eat. We come downstairs, we eat. That was it, right? I don't remember saying like, oh, I'm hungry. Can I eat? Like, we just ate when it was time to eat. So mm. I remember one time, and to the point like I, like water, like I wouldn't even, I'm thirsty. I wouldn't even be like, oh, mom, dad, I'm thirsty. Like I would just sneak to the restroom, which is upstairs and every, you know, they would always be downstairs. And I would, you know, cut my hands and drink out of the bathroom faucet just, you know, cause I was thirsty. And I remember one time being in such a fearful state that, you know, cupping my hands wasn't enough. I wanted to take the water back to my room. So I took one of my shoes, put water in the shoe and then drunk water out of the shoe mm. um, in my room. Cause I was thirsty. So one day I'm hungry and my little sister has like a little piece of Pop-Tart in her uh, crib. She's not eating it. She's just chilling. Um, so I was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna take a piece and then go in my room. So my stepdad finds out that it was me somehow and comes into the room, punches me in my face. Um, I instantly like, like a cartoons low key. Like I thought like literally might've saw stars. Like I saw a flash and I remember my eye instantly swelling up to the point where I could barely see out of it. And this is second grade. So I remember him threatening me because I had to go to school the next day. So he threatened me like, oh, you know, the usual abuser threats. And I ended up going to school the next day. Of course, they asked like, hey, what happened to you? And then I told them that I got jumped by some older kids on the way to school. And they gave me some ice and that was that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Another time, I, uh, it was the last day of school. I got in trouble for something, um, something small, I remember. Like I told a kid to shut up because he was making fun of me, like something like that. So then I got in trouble. They sent me to school, sent me home because it's like it's the last day of school. We don't want to deal with this. And so I ended up having to go home. My stepdad is there. My mom is not there. So my stepdad, you know, every time he told us to go get ready, you know, 
for our whooping, uh, we had to go upstairs, take off every single article of clothing. And we had a bunk bed, so I would always like put my hands on the bunk bed and, and kind of wait for my whooping. But before I got up there, um, I decided I wanted to hide the belt. So I hid the belt and that was a bad mistake because he ended up whooping me with an extension cord that day um, to the point where he left marks. And so the, either the next day or it might have been the next day, um, I was at an auntie's. She had like this community center where people could come get clothes and kids could play and stuff. And so I remember, you know, playing at her community center and somehow, some way, like my shirt came up and you can hear my auntie like gasp, like, <gasps> you know, like she saw a ghost or something. And they were all like, what happened? Like, what happened? And I, I remember this because I remember thinking to my mom, like, which, like, are you going to get mad at me? You know, you live with this crazy man. You know that you married this crazy, abusive man, abusive to you. Abuse, like, what? Like, she had the audacity to, like, be upset that I didn't tell her what happened. Mm. And I'm like, you know, like, so anyway, like, that whole situation of, you know, getting whooped, they finding the marks and the scars. Um, fast forward to, you know, now I'm in the third grade. Um, there was a time where my stepdad went to jail now, but my mom wasn't happy about it, I guess. And so she had an attempt of suicide upstairs while we were downstairs watching a movie. Now, mind you, I have five siblings, well, four siblings, five of us total that my mom had. I'm the oldest of them. So I'm only in the third grade. My siblings are younger than me. And my, while we're up downstairs watching a movie as innocent as could be, my mom was upstairs attempting suicide. Luckily, thankfully, Oof. we got to her in time. Um, the cops was able to, you know, kick the door down and revive her and save her. But it was just kind of that, that story where you see our lives were trending in a certain way. And the crazy thing about it, Arnon, is that, um, Arnan, that we, like, it, when you're going through it, it just seems like this is just it. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing in our brain that says this is wrong. Like, this is not right. This is not how a child should be treated. Like, as a kid, you just start to formulate that as yeah. like, this is normalize. just what happens. Yeah, mm -hmm. we normalize it. And so we're still going through that. We get to the end of my third grade year now, third grade going into the fourth grade. And my brother is playing upstairs with the lighter and an incense, essentially ends up burning our apartment down. So now we are homeless. We are living in a motel like a month for about a month in the next city over. Um, eventually my stepdad goes to jail again. I don't know what that infraction was for, but he's in jail. Now my mom is kind of fending for herself, eventually gets on her feet, finds a two bedroom home on the another side of town. And so um, we, we kind of sort of get some stability. You know, I start at a new school and everything's kind of okay. Um, but my mom, in order to make money, mind you, she didn't graduate from high school. I don't know if I mentioned it. So like mm -hmm. her finding work was struggling or, you know, it was a struggle, but she found work as a stripper. And, and let me be respectful, exotic dancer. And so as an exotic dancer, um, she would, you know, do her thing at night. Sometimes she would bring people home. Um, and eventually she established like a drug habit mm. and to the point where, you know, Am I, so I'm in the fourth grade now. So I would sometimes find pipes or different things around the house and I'd be like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I didn't know what it was until, you know, looking back now, I'm like, oh, okay, now I know. Mm. Um, so eventually my mom came to me and I think I'm still in the fourth grade at this point. And she's like, I just can no longer take care of you. Like this, like, you know, I'm gonna have to send you over to your, um, grandma's house I called her grandma but it was my um stepdad's stepmom mm. and um you 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 know you guys are going to stay with her until I could get back on my feet and I was like all right cool um <clears throat> will um my son just popped in he found me thought I could <laughs> hide from him um but yeah so be, like she you know had us stay there and we ended up staying there we didn't we never live with my mom again she just wasn't able like there was plenty of attempts plenty chances that she might have had <clears throat> but she wasn't able to 
take care of us anymore. So that from that point on, I, I was I said I live with my grandma, but I was still in what they call kinship. So I was still a part of the system. I still had a case manager. I still had to go to court. There's um, there's many a times where I'm going to court where my mom had you know she was close to getting me, and then she wasn't able um, to take care of us. And so <clears throat> yeah, it was a situation where when we first went with my mom or my grandma, all five of us were staying together. My stepdad somehow, some way, when I was in the sixth grade, was able to get us back and all five of us. <clears throat> and so I was like crying, like, no, like just really begging and just nothing happened. But thankfully, he must have turned over a new leaf because he was much better, you know, from what I remember, but ended up going back to jail again. And mm-hmm. so at that point, <clears throat> it was me. And my youngest sister, who ended up going back with my grandma, and my middle three siblings went to stay with their auntie, their uh, dad's um, sister. And her reasoning for not taking all of us was that I wasn't my stepdad's son, and that my little sister was just too young to be in her house. Mm -hmm. So they split us up. That was the reasoning for splitting up siblings. Think about that. So when you go through all those different things, then what life looks like for me is now I'm going through middle school, I'm going through high school, not being able to have any type of control over my life. Like, yes, I had control over certain things, but there was too many people I felt like they were making decisions about my life without me having to be able Mm -hmm. to advocate for myself. And I'm like, yo, I'm a good student. Like, I don't fail classes. Like, you know, I get in trouble and get suspended sometimes, but like for the most part, You know, people will say I'm a good kid. So why can't I advocate? And I think as I look back as a kid who was obviously angry and frustrated often, um, would get into fights in middle school, would get into fights up until my sophomore year in high school is the last time I ever fought somebody. Um, But I just think back at a person who just, you know, struggled. And it wasn't until I got to college, really, where I started to understand, like, yo, like, you got to deal with your past because mm. I, I I spent so many years hating my mom. I spent so many years hating my dad. I spent many, many years hating my stepdad, <laughs> man. <laughs> so it's just like all those years of just hating people and not forgiving them. Mm. I was able to be successful in ways in life, but I wasn't able to reach the potential and reach the things that I'm doing now mm. until I was able to forgive each of those three people that I needed to forgive. So how I ended up being a person who works with families and students, and I've, I, my plan is to do that full time eventually, um, is that I finally was able to forgive and understand that my pain is my power. Like, so I was under, I was, and I literally just heard that this past weekend and I've been still in ever since, but, but it's the truth. Like I finally realized like I need to package my pain and help others who are currently going through this pain that I experienced all those years. And so I got away from my story is my story. I'm not telling it to nobody. It's nobody else's damn business. Like it's me, like, forget it. Like this is my story to, oh shit. I went through those things because somebody is going to be liberated. Somebody Mm. is going to be delivered. Somebody is going to go through and need somebody to walk them through their struggles, their pains. And that is why I'm starting to position myself to really do the work of helping students, helping families really um, liberate themselves from the challenges of their past. Mm. Preach, DJ, preach. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen, I I just want to thank you, first and foremost, for sharing all of that, for opening up and kind of giving people a fast-forward glimpse into you, right? Because mm-hmm. part of the beauty of this space, Healing Ninjas, the podcast, the, the sort of environment that we've been trying to cultivate and by we I really mean we like everyone who has participated Ileana my teammate everyone right Mm -hmm. we're really trying to authentically bring this kind of conversation to light right that whether we have someone like DJ who's out there inspiring or we have other people who anonymously participate on the podcast that everyone has their story everyone is in some way or another on this journey and how we bring it 
is very different, right? How we show up, very different, but more importantly, how we heal is very unique. And I think partly what I'm, you know, really interested in having you also share is as a man of color, as someone who is in this space, you know, you you shared violence growing up, you shared homelessness, foster care, you shared, you know, you shared having to deal with these dynamics inside your family, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of implications of mass incarceration, low key from, yeah. you know, your stepfather, right? Like you've exactly. had layers of systems that you've had to interact with. And as a man of color, it's like statistically, like some of this stuff, like, oh, you know, this is stuff that we go through, right? And these yeah. are things that dynamics that we survive. But oftentimes we survive them. And I say this personally, I don't know if you feel this, but I'd love to hear mm-hmm. this, right? I sometimes feel like some of these experiences should have made us bitter, should have made us really hate the world, should have made us really angry at everything, and should have just made us very spiteful. And all I hear in your voice is like this very soothing, calming man who is just like super expressive and down. And y'all, DJ makes me laugh. DJ makes me feel like a total bro, like legit. And and I only get that on occasions here, you know, from men in general. And so what has that experience like been? You what What has that experience been like for you to go through all these changes, to consider your own healing as a man of color, as a father to a son, and just in general, right? The dynamics that you've had to experience thus far. Well, let's be real. Like, I did at one point feel bitter. I did at one point was super angry. I I was at one point like wishing ill upon my mom, upon my dad, upon my stepdad. Like that was Mm -hmm. there for me absolutely there for really for too long because as I was holding on to that pain and that anger and that frustration, like it made my relationships with the people who were currently in my lives, who had nothing to do with what had happened in my past. Like it um, made those relationships, you know, I I wasn't the best person that I could be in those relationships. Mm. Um, When I think about my wife and the relationship that I have with her, like, I think my inability to heal hindered probably the first part of us being together as well as the first part of our marriage. When I think about like some people who really tried to help me and my family, different aunties that I ended up, you know, um, you know, living with in my, you know, time in foster care and as well as like um, people who just tried to help me out, you know, in general, like I always had my guard up because I'm like, yo, if my family can hurt me in the way that my family has hurt me, who's to say that mm. anybody else cannot hurt me, right? Like, who's Man. to say that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so those things were there. So I can't, the people are listening, they're like, this, this dude's amazing. Like, no, I had that point. I think what's important to know is just the shifts that happen, right? Um, when it, I'm thinking of a situation with my dad, right? So my dad, a couple years back, maybe it's been longer, like maybe five, several years back, me and my dad had a falling out because I was still holding on. Like I'm, I'm telling you when father's father's day would come around, like your boy would be irritated on that day. Like (laughs) I remember writing a poem called void day because I'm like, you've left so much of a void in my life. Like this is what this day means to me. Void day like so i'm telling you the anger was there and i remember my dad would reach out to me and act like he was like he would he would act like none of that shit in our past didn't happen i I know how that feels (laughs) i'm like i'm like excuse me um (laughs) i'm thinking of movies right now but like yo excuse me like what's happening? Like, we're just gonna pretend like all these years of my life didn't happen. We're just gonna pretend like you wasn't, you was there. Like, we're just gonna, pretend, like, we're just gonna throw that all out the window. Like, nah, bro, who is you? Mm. Like, pay your dues, apologize. Like, let me know, like, you felt bad. You felt sorry for allowing another man to beat on me and hit on me and think that he was my real dad. Like, come on, bro. Like, you gotta pay up. Like, you got dues to pay before you come back in this. So me and him kind of had a falling out. And I remember like, I don't know if it was like on social media or like I just messaged him. I don't know what happened, but I remember like, okay, first of all, this is not the type of person that I want to project into the world. Mm -hmm. Like this, like this angry, frustrated, can't let stuff go type of guy. Like I didn't want to be that. So my first kind of 
step that I remember, at least with him, is I end up messaging him like, look, I didn't use my words in the way that I would have liked, right? But I need you to understand that your boy went through things. Like, I need you to understand that I, you know, this life is tough. You see me balling out of control or whatever you want to call it. You see me doing these amazing things in life. But I need you to understand that there was a lot of work that went into this. And I just want you to know that I struggled. And I struggled without you in my life. I remember um, in the fourth grade as well. I was when right before we got let go of my, or my mom lost us. Um, I remember randomly crying at dinner time because I wanted my dad. Mind you, like I barely knew my dad, barely knew, like I just had these emotions kind of come over me where I just wanted my dad. And so I'm like, those different things that I could think about, those all these moments, these missed moments, like you didn't get an opportunity to, I didn't get a chance to talk to you about my first kiss. I didn't get a chance to, you know, um, have you come to any of my track meets throughout my high school career. Like, come on, like you gotta understand this. So I just kind of broke it down to him, like, yo, this, I don't, I don't mean to be mean, but like, <laughs> I need you to understand, like, you can't be pretending like these things didn't happen. These struggles didn't happen for me. And so we were able to hash it out. But what's so crazy about my dad is um, I had to, when I wrote my book, The Sun Is Always Shining, which is like, because of the, uh, the, the publisher I used, it's really a, what is the word I'm looking at? Fictional book based off of my real life. So mm-hmm. change names and different things. Um, but it, it really is a biography. <laughs> but before I wrote it, I told my dad, like, you know, I was writing, I wanted to get his side of the story. I wanted to understand what was happening in his life before all the things happened in my life, the kind of the pre preclue or pre prequel. <laughs> and so um, yeah, I, you know, I ended up talking to him then understanding that he too dealt with abuse and trauma mm. to the point where I said, I got whooped with an extension cord. My man got whooped with jumper cables. Um, he was homeless at one point. His, I think mom had kicked him out. They were so poor. He, he told me that he, he remembered like for like a month or so, eat, just eating popcorn throughout the month. That's how poor they were. And so I'm like, okay. But but the great thing about that is like I couldn't have that conversation with him without forgiving him first. Mm. But but like once I was able to have you know forgive, now I'm having a conversation with them. Now I'm starting to understand why they weren't able to be in my life. Mm. Like not only was mm. it just the thing stacked up against him, but it's the system that is against black and brown families to really be cohesive, to really stay as units. Um and so he spoke to that. But the the thing that I wanted to mention about my dad is like, when I wrote my book and he read it for the first time, <laughs> he called me and he was like crying unconsolably. Mm. And he was like, he was very, like he was, he was specifically pissed off at what the things that I had wrote that my stepdad had did to me. And he like, my dad in and out of jail. So I said my stepdad has been in and out of jail. My mom has been out of jail. My stepdad has been out of jail. Mm-hmm. My real dad has been in and out of jail. So that it's just it's just in my family. And so my dad has been in the jail for some things and was like ready to go hunt my stepdad down and kill. Like he was ready to ride out. And I was like, Dad, first and foremost, I'm okay. Like I and and I had to be okay to write the book. And it just kind of talked him off the ledge, but that was a moment where I was like, wow, like, Mm. I think he finally understood kind of what I was dealing with and what I was going through. And so to kind of bring it all back to just your answer of like, how can I be at peace now? It really started with forgiveness, bro. Like my healing journey started with forgiveness and why I felt like I needed to forgive. um, At this point, I have not spoken to my stepdad we've connected on social media on some comments right after I wrote my book he was kind of talking smack but whatever um but other than that I haven't spoken to or seen my stepdad since I was like in the sixth grade Mm -hmm. and so I am in college I think college maybe a little bit after um and I would have these dreams and they they would come every now and then they wouldn't come like every day or every week, but every now and then I would have these dreams 
where, mind you, I have not been in a fight since my 10th grade year. Like, I'm just a gentle giant. If you know me, I'm gentle. I'm like peaceful. I want, I'm, I'm empathetic. I don't want to hurt anybody, not even the <laughs> animal, uh, insect, I mean. But like, so I'm ha- I start having these dreams where I would be killing my stepdad and then like different way. I would stab him one time. Yeah, yeah. Like I would shoot him another time. And then I would be, running from the cops the rest of the dream until I'm like about to get caught. And then I wake up like it was a nightmare. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is a little weird. Like, why do I keep having these dreams? I haven't talked to him. I haven't spoken to him. Like, but it spoke to this unforgiveness that I had in my heart. And so Mm. I remember going to church. I remember the pastor saying like, you know, you don't, he basically was like, you don't forgive people for them to let them off the, you forgive people for you. Like forgiveness is about letting you be released from this pain, this bondage that you've been holding yourself to. And I was like, bruh, I need to let this go. <laughs> like the dream, like all that, like the dreams started and sparked it. And so once I was able to forgive and I haven't called him or talked to him and say, hey, I forgive you. I just established in my mind, in my heart, I forgive him. And I know that that's going to be a continual process. And then I had to forgive my mom. And then I had to forgive my dad. And our, is our relationships great? No, not really. But like, I am at peace now mm-hmm. to the point where I'm now walking in my purpose to help others with my story yes. that, I, that I held on to for so long in my life. Um, so that is why I'm able to kind of share and be you know, DJ inspires the sun that shines, um, the, the person that lights up the room because I had to start my healing process by forgiving and then now take the, you know, the steps that I needed to take towards healing. Mm. Oh my God. You've, you've made such a huge case for forgiveness and how, you know, how important it is. Yes. I, I connect with you on so many levels when it comes to forgiving my own father and, yeah. You know, I spend majority of my morning today driving around with him, helping with his taxes and, mm-hmm. you know, talking to an immigration attorney. And it was like we went on a roof today um, at my co-working space before I went back home because I had to go print out some stuff. And we were standing mm-hmm. next to each other and I could just tell that he was like looking out and just he looked so calm. And I haven't had moments with my dad like today where we just drive around I was driving around Mm -hmm. but you know being able to have conversations about the future together you know supporting him my family creating a legacy for my little brother my little sister Mm -hmm. and part of me like still holds and I've said this in previous episodes DJ like I still hold a lot of sort of resentment and and it's been hard to let it go and part of the reason why it's hard and I would love for you to maybe tell me what your experience has been like has been that I've been surrounded in my life by male figures where the simple forgiving someone or expressing some level of like, I don't know, for them being soft or weak, like forgiveness is not is like synonymous to weakness or you not being tough or you not being like forgiveness in many ways is synonymous to things that quote unquote men or even women sometimes attribute to like relinquishing power in some way Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it's coming from like multiple directions from family from friends but a lot of it has to do with the people around us did you struggle with that like having this internal pressure that's like I don't want to do this because in some way it's going to make me look like I'm letting this shit go when it like Mm -hmm. it bothers me but in reality sometimes it's just like I just don't want to look weak yeah there's so many layers but I will answer your question with this so I just spoke um, to a group of young people on um, Saturday. And one of the things I shared with them was there is power in being a victim and there's a po- there's power in being a victor. Mm. The power in being a victim is kind of like, I want to say false, but I want to, there's another word I need to leave, but, but like it's misleading because you think you have power in saying, oh, I'm holding this over them because 
whatever they did to me, like they don't deserve my forgiveness. So like in you holding on to that, you feel powerful thinking like, okay, I'm going to stay here in this victim mode because they hurt me and they did something to me. And so I have power in this because I need to hold on to this and not let it go because I'm going to let them off the hook. Mm. But like the power that we really want is being a victor because not only are we having the power to say, I am going to let this go because I know that not letting it go is going to harm me more than it's going to harm them. And so with my stepdad, like I say this all the time, like I, I was all these years, I'm holding this anger and frustration towards my stepdad. My man has moved on. I'm sure he's had multiple women since, you know, I've talked to him. He's had other kids since, you know, I've, you know, seen him. Um, And so like, so long story short, like he's not thinking about me. I'm sure he's thinking about me in a different way. Like he raised me. He was my, I consider him a dad at one point. We did have moments where I'm like, oh, he is actually a pretty cool dad. But like for the most part, like I'm sure he thought like, oh, I wonder how he's doing. Like, you know, I, in a weird way, he probably cares about me. But like the reality I understood is like my man is not thinking about me. And I'm over here stressing. I'm over here having anxiety. I'm over here angry and frustrated. I'm over here like hurting other people who, you know, I'm over here like, you know, doing the highest men on people trying to help me out because I have all these trust issues and all these different things because I've been holding on to this thing that I thought was allowing me to have power over my life. And I really didn't get the real power until I switched from being a victim to being a victor. Mm-hmm. So I think for people who are struggling out there, you have to decide which power you want to hold on to. Do you want to keep that power of being a victim where you feel like, oh, I'm going to keep all this hurt that they, you know, did me and I'm going to make sure I never forgive them because they don't deserve my forgiveness? Or are you going to be like, okay, I need to let this go and start living in the power of being a victor so I can move forward and do the things that I need to do in my life? Mm. And so let's say whatever, however they hurt you, let's say they abuse you, let's say um, they hurt you, they left marks, whatever it is, like if they left you, like, you don't think that pain, that hurt could be utilized for something? You don't mm-hmm. think somebody out there who's dealing with hurt, dealing with abuse, dealing with pain is not going to want your advice on how to get through that? And so mm-hmm. by all means, whatever you want to do, you want to stay as a victim, you know, take whatever, you know, fake power you have with that or be the victor and start to use those pains and those anguishes towards helping others. Oof. Oh, my God. Thank you, DJ, for expressing that so well. I, I feel like I struggle with saying that. And, you know, for for my audience who's listening, I know that in the past there's been episodes where people are very cautious about the victim, survivor, all these terms, right? Like, I think in mm-hmm. this context, just being clear that we're, like, talking about this internal sense where we're yeah. constantly sort of taking pains from the past and essentially using those to just keep perpetuating harmful cycles to people around us. Right. And oftentimes it's people who just get caught in the crossfire. You know, I've I've Mm -hmm. talked about this too in the past where legitimately a lot of the lack of forgiveness on myself, on people around me created that dynamic of victimization where not only was I feeling that, but I was then perpetrating that onto other people. And I think this conversation is so important to just elevate, but also for our, you know, our brothers out there who might listen to this episode, because there's so much of this work that involves us being able to get to that point of forgiveness and being able to discuss it in the ways that you just did, DJ. Mm-hmm. I'm just learning this and you just gave me an intentional way of like framing it, right? Victim, Victor, and how we talk about it is super important. Language, you know, is really important internally, how we internalize mm-hmm. anything. So for people who are listening to you right now, whether, you know, men, women, gender non-conforming, others, right? But if they're processing this and they're like, man, now I need to go and like maybe do some like conversations right now and start forgiving some people or just internally forgiving them, right? Because like you can't always have a phone call or conversation with X person, right? Like sometimes it's just about internally being like, I'm letting this go and moving forward. When you think about that and you think about steps that people can take intentionally, to go about this process, what would you say to them? Um, I think you have to kind of evaluate how not forgiving people who have hurt you has impacted your life. Mm. Like really look in the mirror. And Cause I, for a while I was blinded by it. 
Like I'm like, this is just how I am. Same. This is just how I operate. This is just what it is. Who, what you see is what you get. Like that's kind of how I was. But until I was smacked in the face, I'm like, first of all, you having these weird dreams about killing your stepdad, that's strike one. Then, you know, you have these people who genuinely care about you, who want to help you, who want to be there for you. And you're giving them the Heisman, telling them to back off because mm-hmm. I don't trust you because of the things that happened in my past. Then it was like, okay, who am I in these relationships that I really care about? Like with my wife, girlfriend at the time. And then now a new dynamic that has come up for me is the dynamic between me and my son. And so thankfully I was able to forgive before him, but I can't imagine, you know, what I would be like had I kept this unforgiveness in, you know, into being a dad. Mm. Um, And so for me, I think you have to have an honest look in the mirror and say, okay, how is me not forgiving impacting me? Like, am I angry? Do I find, I remember like, I remember in college, like being irritated by just the smallest things. Like, um, and to this day, it's still to a certain extent, but definitely in college when my mom would like text me or reach out to me, like I would just be so irritated by her. Like, don't reach out to me, mm-hmm. you know, before the forgiveness part, like, I'm just like, whatever, like, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Um, and I just remember like being just, just like so standoffish towards people because of these things that I was holding on to. So I think you have to have an honest assessment of, okay, is, is, is this impacting me? Is this mm-hmm. messing with my mood? Is this messing with just my, you know, me being the best version of myself? Oof. Once you're able to answer that, then start taking the steps. I always tell students who have a hard time, right? Because thankfully the people who I needed to forgive weren't necessarily in my life. So I don't necessarily have to interact with them on a daily basis. I live in California. All the people that I, you know, had to forgive live in Indiana still. Um, so that has helped, but also that speaks to not being able to really forgive them or say it out loud. Um, and so for me, I did it, you know, kind of like in prayer, (laughs) kind of like letting God know, like, Hey, I forgive these people. I'm going to let it go. What I've told Mm -hmm. students is to write a letter to the person saying everything that you ever wanted to say, Mm -hmm. and then capping it off with, I forgive you. And, you know, depending on the relationship, I love you, I forgive you, I'm moving forward. But like, once again, the forgiveness is not for to let them off the hook. The forgiveness is to let you off the hook. You know, they say like, um, well, I used it as forgiveness, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die or to, to be impacted by it. And it's like, really, you are the person who drank the poison. By not forgiving others, you are drinking that poison. <laughs> and so evaluate first and then take steps, whether or not you can call them. That's a whole, that's a huge leap. I would even, I would, if if you are in a step where you need to forgive, I would just write a letter first. Because one, it allows you to get your thoughts on paper. And two, if you ever do need to have a conversation, you have at least a basis to go off of. Mm-hmm when you, you know, write the letter. So write a letter of forgiveness. If you're, you know, religious, pray about it. Like in a sense, like say it out loud, state it out loud. I forgive this person for this infraction or whatever it might be. And then just understand like healing one is not linear. Yes. <laughs> it's a Thank journey. Mm-hmm. It's wavy. So I'm just now understanding that. But also like forgiveness is something that you might consistently have to do. So I have initially forgiven my mom, my stepdad, and my dad. Um, but I recognize now lately, especially, you know, going back into therapy, like I like that forgiveness has to continue to keep going. Like I might have to forgive my mom for multiple things because there's things that keep coming up between mm-hmm. us and our relationship. Um same with my dad and I'm sure eventually my stepdad if we ever cross paths. So I'm understanding that and not going into the forgiveness like, okay, DJ, you told me to forgive. Now am I good? Like, <laughs> no, like there's work to do, but I think what you'll find is you'll be released and you'll see those chains start to release and break. Mm-hmm. And then you'll start to be able, I say, I have now because of my forgiveness, being able to forgive, I should say, I feel like a monkey has been taken off of my back. Mm. And now I feel like I could do anything and be anything that I want to be. Mm. Oof. Yeah. When you think of, when you made me 
think about this right now. I was like, yeah, how many different things have I like gotten off my back every time I've gone mm-hmm. further and further into this process? And you feel it, y'all. You yeah. feel if you're listening to this, like you are totally gonna feel it. You're gonna feel the relief that's gonna come, not maybe just on your shoulders, but maybe from other parts of your body. Like you will literally mm-hmm. feel it. You're also going to feel some of that fatigue from having carried it for so long. Just keep in yeah. it real. Like DJ said, the process is not linear. So like you're going to probably feel a little heavier in the beginning yeah. because your body is so accustomed to that weight. Holding on period. to it. Yep. And so thank you for saying that, for expressing that and giving people a solid way to go about the forgiveness piece, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of wrap us out a little bit. Yeah. How do you now take care of yourself? How do you actively practice this as, a, as an ongoing practice and something that maybe you're teaching to your son, that you're teaching maybe to your wife, or just the people now that you're imparting some of your inspiration to? And then are there any specific tools that DJ has like read, taken a liking to, or, or things that you'd give a shout out to that like have impacted your way of seeing things now so that other people could possibly tune into that? That's really good. I... So many, I, like I said, I'm <clears throat> my therapeutic journey has only been since 2019. Excuse mm. me, I'm like <clears throat> my throat not letting me be great today, but so um, <clears throat> that process is still kind of happening and going for me. And so I, but I will say this: the the self care that really helps me is one. This is probably going to speak to somebody out there. I'm being very intentional about the messages that I tell myself Mm. because I know I've been so tough on myself. Like DJ, that was so dumb. DJ, that was so stupid. Like why, why, you know, just questioning myself. And now I'm like, even if I feel myself slip up, I'm like, DJ, you're okay. Like we're good. Just take another step. Take it like one day at a time. Like just, let's just, let's just slow it down. Like I'm, I'm being very intentional about those. Why? Because as a kid who had a childhood where it wasn't that, like you were made to feel like crap for every little mistake that you ever made in your household. Like a a person who goes through that becomes the adult who is like walking on eggshells and just, you know, can't, you know, be able to, you know, do certain things. So first and foremost, I just really try to speak to myself in a positive way. Um, and just kind of combat those negative messages that come up. And then I work out um, just something that's been kind of happening as well since 2019, being able to try to get at least, you know, four to five workouts a week. Um, And that always has me feeling much better (laughs) about Mm -hmm. myself and just in general, physically. Um, Going to sleep at a decent hour, although I'm terrible at this, but (laughs) I usually try my best to do that. Um, when I had to commute, um, I would have to commute like 40 minutes to an hour or so, um, to work when I had to go in and I would like bump music very loudly and scream the lyrics at the top of my lungs. And it made me feel really good about myself. (laughs) So I I guess the moral of the story is people out there have to find something that makes them feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, They have to find something that allows them to get their cup refilled. Yes. Um, Find whatever your metaphorical gas station is and go and get that fill up. Whether it's be walking in nature, whether it be going for a walk, um, maybe, you know, going to a movie or going out to eat. Some people get their cups filled by that. So just being able to find those things that make you feel better. And then each day committing to being the best version of yourself, I think, I love saying that because it doesn't imply that I'm perfect. It doesn't imply that I'm trying to be perfect. It just implies that I'm trying to be my best. And I recognize that one day is not some, I might not meet the mark or the standard of being amazing that day, um, but it was my best. And then a day like today where I'm feeling really good, I had a good work day for the first time in the week and uh, it was able to get some things done, post it to social media twice today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, worked out. So doing this podcast interview with you and then going live in a little bit at 630. So it's like I have been able to really just kind of tap into just, all right, how do I just take it one day at a time and just really be present in the moment? It's so hard. It's so challenging. But I do know, like, my best days have been 
when I just take my time yes. and I just, you know, let it flow and just don't work myself up over things. Um, that's, that's kind of been the best. Thank you, DJ. And thank you for y'all. He was practicing this while he was coming onto this podcast, y'all. He legit was eating, practicing the self-care because we made sure that was the case. <laughs> Making yes. sure you're getting those meals in, right? Practice what we preach. But exactly. thank you for that reminder, too, that, you know, I need to fill up my cup and also find my metaphorical gas station and start filling that. up. <laughs> That's the I first really time I ever that. used that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new one trademark right now. No. Yep. <laughs> But I really appreciate you, DJ, for for your candidness, your vulnerability, and for just being another brother out here who's also doing this work. Because this oh, yeah. work is, we need a lot more of us together yes. doing this. And, you know, I want to give another little shout out to Leslie for organizing an event that is creating these ripple effects of mm-hmm. men like us coming together. And I just want you to know, my brother, that you inspire me a lot. You give me hope for this, this kind of work does. <laughs> <laughs> no, but on the real, like, I feel so good. It was a long day today, you know, had an mm-hmm. experience with my dad for the day and then rounding out the day with you. It's a blessing, y'all. It's a, it's a blessing. And I can't wait to share this episode, share all the links to your website, your Instagram, your podcast. If you want me to give you that, <laughs> but anything that again is, is super, you know, allowing people to just connect with you. Cause that, that's essentially the goal of this, you know, building a community and thank you for just being another healing ninja out there. I appreciate you, brother, and the work that you do. And just um, like I said, when I got connected with you through Leslie's um, Brown Fatherhood series, I was like, I, like literally, it was four of y'all. And I was like, I added every last one of you. <laughs> and because you're right, like it just, you know, to, to hear a man in that space speak about the certain things that they spoke on, um, you know, masculinity, just, you know, what is it like being fathers now? Like, when we were raised a certain way, but also, you know, essentially maybe not falling in line with what society says about black and brown fathers. Um, it's just, it's just amazing. And you're right. Like not a lot of us doing this work and, um, but we're fighting a good fight and hopefully people are impacted by that. We're going to keep fighting a good fight. It's an, this is a movement. I told, I said, it's a healing revolution, y'all. I hope y'all, yep. y'all remember that term. It's a healing revolution. I'm going to start creating shirts with that. Thanks. <laughs> but Thank you again, DJ. I'm going to drop all the links. And please, if I can never be of support to you, you know you can count on me, bro, whenever. Absolutely. You as well. Do, do the same. But you might have to reach out to my assistant now because you're know, <laughs> oh, oh. stepping up. <laughs> Thank you so much. I definitely will hit up the assistant before you get too booked. Awesome, DJ. I really appreciate you. Thank you again, my brother. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, And follow us at Healing Ninjas on all social media platforms. If you're interested in sharing your own story, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.healingninjas.org and sign up to be featured. We look forward to sharing your journey next.